now, Proverbs chapter 8. And we're going to continue to seek to walk in wisdom from God's word and see what God would uh, say to us. As we start, I want to I want to just share with you a foundational truth that should guide everything we do, everything we think, everything we, we live our lives around. Here's the truth. There is a good God, full of infinite wisdom, that created you uniquely, and he created you uniquely to live right now. To live in the time in which he's put you, to live in the family in which he's put you, to live in the community in which he's put you. That infinitely powerful, that infinitely good God from all eternity has designed the world to work in this way, and he has put you here. He's put you here for a reason. You're not just here by chance. It's not through some random course of events that's brought you to the point that you are in in your life right now. Your life, your career, your family, your home, your, your spheres of influence, all of that, God has brought you to this point. If we believe that, that this, that this good God of infinite wisdom has placed you right here, then we should believe this as well, that this God desires you to make the most of every opportunity, to make the most of every day, to be lived for his glory. Not for your own glory, not for your own good or your own growth, but for the glory of this eternal king. And so that's, what that ultimately means is today has purpose, and tomorrow has purpose, and every day has purpose. And see, that shouldn't be a radical thought, but somehow in the life that we live, it feels like a radical thought. Because so many of us wrestle with that question of meaning and purpose what is our value in this life? What value are we bringing to others? Is there any point to all that we see and all that we're influenced by all around us? But God's word would tell us there is a point, there's a purpose, you have value, and your value is found in Christ. And you're called to live out of that value, out of that meaning, right now, today. That foundational truth is a core of a set of truths that can be referred to as a worldview. Last week, we opened up Proverbs chapter 8 while we were at the picnic together. And I know some of you were there, some of you were not there, so there will be a little bit of repetition for those that were there, but I'm, but I'm coming at it from a different angle. When we talked at the picnic last week, I shared for you just five descriptions of wisdom from, from Proverbs chapter 8 and how it shapes our worldview. But worldview is something that we need to embrace and understand at a deeper level as we go through this, the rest of the book of Proverbs here. We're going to continue in June and July to unpack the book of Proverbs. But here's the warning. I told you from the beginning when we started Proverbs 1 that it's going to look different when we get to Proverbs chapter 10. Well, we're almost there. We'll finish chapter 8 today. We'll go into 9 next week. And then after we finish chapter 9... What's going to happen is we're going to be coming at Proverbs not in a sequential order, as in we preach 10 and then 11 and then 12 and so on and so forth. But rather, as we go through Proverbs, we're going to go thematically through the rest of the book. And we're going to see how Proverbs 10 through 31 shape us in different um, ideas and different themes on how to live our lives. And what, what ultimately we're doing is we're looking at wisdom as a worldview. So what is a worldview? There's lots of ways to define it. I have three for you right here, and I think I know which you'll like the best. James Sire, the author of The Universe Next Door, a classic book on developing a Christian worldview, defined worldview as a commitment, a fundamental orientation of the heart that can be expressed as a story or in a set of, or a set of presuppositions which we hold consciously or subconsciously, consistently or inconsistently, about the basic constitution of reality, and that provides the foundation on which we live and move and have our being. Now, that was a lot of words, so I think we can do better than that. Um, that is a good, that is a good um, definition if we understand all the intricacies of it. 
But here's another one. This is from Phil Graham Ryken in his book on Christian worldview. He calls worldview the structure of understanding that we use to make sense of our world. Ronald Nash, in his book, says worldview is a conceptual scheme by which we believe and by which we interpret and judge reality. Either one of those two are more practically helpful than the first because you've already forgotten the first. But they all basically say the same thing, that worldview is a structure or a scheme of understanding the world around us and helping us shape how we make sense of that world around us. And so for Christians, the way we view the world, the set of assumptions, the scheme, the framework, needs to be guided by the Scriptures. And in the book of Proverbs, we have a framework for how we build that view of life, and it is wisdom. Wisdom is the main character of the book of Proverbs. Wisdom is personified as a woman in the book of Proverbs, as uh, particularly in chapters 1 through 9, this young man is trying to choose between two paths of life, the path of wisdom and the path of foolishness. So here we have in Proverbs 8, again, wisdom call out to this young man, choose me and not folly, not foolishness. But we also know another important trait from the book of Proverbs that we've talked about multiple times is that in Proverbs, wisdom is Jesus. And in the New Testament, as Jesus is revealed to us, we see that Jesus is the fullest representation to us of what wisdom is and how wisdom is lived out in a practical way. So we put these concepts together. Wisdom is a framework by which we can view the world and live in any and all circumstances in the world. Wisdom is Jesus. And so Jesus buttresses that, that framework built by wisdom where we live not just on principles of reality, but on principles of grace and truth and salvation and the Spirit of God indwells us as we seek wisdom. So there is actually a way to live in this life, in this world that is wise and spirit-filled, shaped by Jesus, and is available to every one of us who is in Christ. I've had numerous conversations um, over the last couple of weeks I feel like just about the state of our world, the challenges of our world, we know those challenges are real. We know that the risks are real. How we live as Christ followers in a world that seems to be opposed to Christ. And here, as we enter into the first few days of the month of June, we're caught in a society that has chosen the month of June to be a particular season in which societal uh, values are pushed and pride is pushed in a way that we as Christians cannot, cannot support, cannot agree with as we look at the movement of, of the LGBT revolution into calling June as the pride month. And I've talked to so many people over the last couple of weeks about the challenges that makes in the, work, in the workplace, the challenges that that creates in interactions with customers, how do you live in such a world in which you, you see these depictions, you see these depictions of pride and, and love is love, and, and it makes you uncomfortable because you know what Scripture says? And we've said multiple times, uh, Proverbs has, has brought us back to this concept of reality from the Scriptures about what God defines about sexuality. God created us in, in a certain way. God created us to live in our sexuality in a certain way. We know what the Bible says about that, and we know what cult how culture has deviated from that view. And so here we are at the beginning of June, and we're, we're sitting here together saying we need to shape our worldview based not on cultural ideals, based not on what the world says, but based on who Jesus is and based on what, what God's word says. And so as we go about these next couple of months in a journey in Proverbs, what we're going to keep coming back to is this concept of worldview, a conceptual basis, a framework in which we take everything we believe about, about reality, about the world that God created, and we use that framework to give us glasses to view life through those glasses. So in Proverbs 8, here's, here's the journey we're on in Proverbs 8. Proverbs 8 starts with an invitation. Wisdom invites us in. And then wisdom describes to us how wisdom guides us. Wisdom describes to us then how wisdom 
precedes us because wisdom is literally woven into the fabric of all reality around us, into the created order. And finally, wisdom has a warning for us. So as we walk through this journey of wisdom and worldview today and see wisdom as a worldview, we remember Jesus is wisdom. James 1.5 tells us if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask. And God gives generously without finding fault. God doesn't expect you to have the wisdom to engage in every situation, every challenge in your life. Rather, God wants you to face challenges you cannot face in your own wisdom and understanding. Why? Because those challenges move you to him. So every one of us is faced with difficult decisions, difficult conversations, difficult challenges in which knowing how to walk in wisdom is difficult. And through it all, God calls us back to himself. If you lack wisdom, which you will, ask me. And I'm going to give it generously. I'm not going to find fault in you because you haven't solved your own problems on your own. I'm going to give it generously. So here's the invitation of wisdom in Proverbs 8. Does not wisdom call? And does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. To you, O man, I, cry, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Uh, two key principles out of this invitation in verses 1 through 11. Wisdom invites us in verses 1 through 11. And two key principles I want you to see. Number one, that wisdom is necessary. Look at verse 5. O simple ones learn prudence. O fools learn sense. When we come to the scriptures, we come to the scriptures humbly as those that do not have everything figured out. We come desperately. We come dependently. We come recognizing that we need God's word. We need God's instruction in order to do what is right in order to do what makes sense. Verse 6 says here, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. Have you ever been in a situation where you don't know what to say? You don't know the right words to calm a conflict, to convict a sinner, to encourage someone that, that is broken. Have you ever been in that situation? I would hope that every one of us have. I would hope that every one of us has the humility to say that in some situations, they're just so hard, they're so complex, I don't know what to say. And if you're one of those people that always knows what to say, you're probably a little bit overconfident about what you know to say. Just saying. We are simple ones. We are fools that need to learn prudence and need to learn sense. But God is calling us and telling us that if we rest in his wisdom, in his ways, then God, through his spirit, will speak noble things through us. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be so exciting to be in a place where, where 8.6, Proverbs 8.6, could actually be true of you, and not just wisdom is speaking noble things, and not just from the lips of wisdom comes what is right, but from your lips come what is right. And from you comes the noble things that wisdom provides, that you actually speak, and in verse 7, your mouth utters truth, because wickedness is an abomination to your lips. This is the invitation that wisdom gives us. Wisdom says, come to me, Jesus. says, come to me. Remember the invitation that Jesus gives. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. Think about that with Jesus being wisdom. You know what wisdom sounds like to most of us? It sounds like, you know, if I have to have answers for every question in life, if I have to have some response 
for everyone around me that's hurting, searching, questioning something. That's, that sounds really complicated. It sounds like wisdom is a burden. It sounds like to have the wisdom to speak to anyone and everyone in any situation, that feels like a burden. But Jesus says, no, no, no. If you're with me, it's not a burden. It's light. Because the burden is trying to live life on your own. The burden is trying to come up with all of your own solutions. The burden is formulating your own words to speak to someone in a place of, in a place of hurt, in a place of sorrow. But the lightness is living through Christ. Not, not you, but Christ in you, inviting other people in to the life he has to offer them. See, this is so different than the way we practically live our lives. The way we practically live our lives, and I, I think this is true of all of us at least at times, the way we practically live our lives is focused on ourselves, on those closest to us. We focus on providing for ourselves, providing for our family, being successful in our careers, being profitable in our day, doing what we enjoy and providing life for a family that they can enjoy so that we can all live in rest. And, and, and that's, that seems like a really noble way to live your life, but it's also a very worldly-focused way to live your life. Because remember what we said at the beginning, that there's an eternal God full of infinite wisdom that placed you on this earth right now to glorify Him. And so a life lived to glorify Him doesn't just respond to the invitation that wisdom gives, but actually takes the invitation from wisdom and gives it to others. Actually has a, a heart, a desire to take everything we're learning and we're soaking in from our own journey and experience with Christ's wisdom. And we're seeking to share that with the world around us so that the world may know that God is good, that he is all-powerful and he is all-wise, that they need not live in the burdens that they are under. But rather, the good news is that Jesus has died for us and given us a way to new life and to freedom, and it is a light way of living. It is an encouraging way of living, a joyful, a hopeful way of living. That is what living for God's glory looks like. Receiving wisdom ourselves, inviting others into the walk of wisdom, into the walk of life that is truly life. Because not only is wisdom necessary, but wisdom is valuable. In verse 10, wisdom says, take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. This makes no sense in the worldview of the world. This makes no sense in a worldview shaped by self. What do you want? Information and wisdom? Do you want knowledge and how to live the world in a righteous way that pleases God? Or do you want silver and do you want gold? The world chooses silver and gold 10 times out of 10. But God invites us in and says silver and gold perish. Those are not eternal substances. That's not eternal value. But rather, I'm preparing you for an eternity with a totally different value system. And so you're living today in, in a reality that is moving towards that eternity with a different value system. How are you living today in it? How are you pursuing what is valuable? Wisdom says, God says, I am. I am value. I am purpose, I am meaning, I am what it takes to have a life full of value, purpose, and meaning. And so, wisdom invites us in, invites us in to live lives that reflect Christ to the world so that a hurting and broken world, see, here's the thing, here's the thing that we do. We look at the world, and we look at Christ's kingdom, and we say, our worldview tells us, this is evil, and this is righteous. Therefore, we're against that and we're for that, right? This is, this is good so far. This makes sense so far, right? But sometimes when we set up the battle lines and we draw the battle lines between wisdom and folly, between the way of righteousness and the way of the world, we forget the fact that the way of the world is a very painful way to live, that the way of the world is full of burden that the way of the world is full of hopelessness and we are full of a life of hopefulness. 
And so this way over here, we treat them as if they're hardened into their worldview, they're hardened into their priorities, and they, are, they have rejected God and rejected us, and therefore we position ourselves against them. But the Christian worldview, the way of wisdom, the way of Christ, says look at how much that life hurts. Look at how difficult that life is. Look at the burdens. Look at the pain. And Jesus says, I'm inviting them in too. I'm loving them too. My sacrifice is just as available to them as it is to you. The gospel is just as available to them as it is to you. So when wisdom invites us in, we turn and we look at the world that is against us. It is. And we say, though you are against us, we can still be for you. We defend the truth. We stand up for who God is and what God says. But we live in a life of continual invitation to invite those people that are hurting, that are broken into the way of our lives filled with Christ and shaped by Christ. Because Christ's way is better. Christ's way invites and guides us. Verse 12, as wisdom guides us, verse 12 through 21 shows us how. I wisdom dwell with prudence. I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me princes rule and nobles all who govern justly. I love those who love me. Those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold. My yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me, filling their treasuries. This is where at the, at the picnic I shared three points out of this section. Just simple points. Wisdom guides leaders, or guides us. Wisdom loves, and wisdom bears fruit. Three points out of this section that are really simple. I'm going to add one to it this morning. Go back to verse 13. Do you know what wisdom hates? Evil. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance in the way of evil, and perverted speech I hate. Remember, this is the personification of wisdom speaking. This is also Christ speaking. Christ hates evil. But you know, what, what is evil that Christ hates? Pride and arrogance. Sometimes we as Christians are, are way better at hating the evil we see out in culture and the evil that we see in the world. We're way better at that than we are at hating the evil that actually is inside of us. Pride and arrogance are just as evil as the perverted speech that we hate. It's easy to jump on perverted speech. We don't like that. We're against that. But the pride and arrogance of, of saying that we're the ones that have truth figured out, we're the ones that have life figured out, we're the ones that are doing it right, that is also evil. Um, in our prayer time this morning, um, I told you we have an, a one-hour prayer time during the Sunday school hour, and one of our sweet ladies from the church just really challenged me as she prayed this verse, we prayed this passage of scripture, and she prayed this verse, and she said, Lord, help me to hate the evil in my own heart, the evil that resides within me. It's so easy to hate evil that has an adverse effect on us. That doesn't take work. It doesn't take God's, God's direction to hate the evil that is outside of us that negatively affects us. But the evil inside of us our own pride, our own jealousy, our own selfish inclinations, our own sins of lust and greed, that evil, that's hard to hate because that's us. It's inside of us. We're really good as human beings at hating the sin of others and protecting the sin of ourselves. So if you're in the point, let me tell you, if you're in the point of hating the sins of others, you don't need Jesus for that. You don't need Jesus to hate the sins that others commit against you. That's not the Holy Spirit's presence. That's just, it's easy to hate the sins of others. 
But when you start to hate the sins that are inside of you, that your flesh would have you protect, would have you minimize, would have you say, well, well, I'm not. Yeah, sure, I do this, this, and this, but it's not as bad as that person. That is the Spirit of God. When you start to hate the sins that you want to protect in your own heart, hate the sins of your own mind, the sins of your own inclination, that's Jesus. That's where you know the Spirit of God is working in you. The wisdom hates evil. And the three that we had last week, that it guides leaders. We want leaders full of justice. Verse 16, or verse 15 and 16, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule, nobles, all who govern justly. We want our leaders to govern justly. And let me tell you, the only way for anyone to govern justly is through God's wisdom. And God's wisdom is lived out by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Wisdom loves, and wisdom teaches us how to love. We know in Scripture, in our New Covenant Scriptures that, are, um, that present Jesus to us, that the only way we know how to love as sinful, fallen human beings is because Jesus first loved us. And so wisdom is, is showing us what love is. You love wisdom, wisdom loves you, and wisdom will teach you and train you in how to love others. Wisdom bears fruit in verse 19. You know, we started this morning saying, everyone in here has a life full of purpose and value. For some of you, that's, that's readily clear. What's the purpose of my life? What value does my life have? What am I supposed to do every day? But, but for some of us, that's, that's maybe not clear. It's maybe not clear what is the fruitfulness of your career. What is the fruitfulness of your day? Maybe you're, you're not in a career anymore. Maybe you're post-career and you're living in retirement and you're saying, how do I make the most of my days? How do I be fruitful? Maybe you're in between jobs right now and you're, you're struggling through. How am I fruitful with my life? Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom and you're surrounded by littles all day and you're struggling because you just want to be around adults and you're saying, what is, what, how am I fruitful? How do I live out Christ's calling in my life today? And the truth is, when you are connected to Christ, everything you do, everything you do is lived in the presence of Christ. Everything you do is live before the face of God. You know how when you're a kid, you know, we, have th we have three kids. We have, we have 10, 8, and 7 right now. And you know how when you're a kid, you act differently based on who's watching? I mean, that's just like every kid. It's not that some kids are more righteous than others. I mean, that's true. But every kid has that tendency where it's like, I'm going to do one thing while nobody's watching me. But then mom turns her head around the corner, and all of a sudden, it's a totally different kid, totally different behavior, totally different attitude. And so, inevitably, what happens, two kids get into a fight, and, and you have one kid, whoever runs to get mom, it's always the other kid's fault, right? Because this one is running to talk to mom or dad first and saying, this other child, this is the problem. But then you round the corner and find the other child, and the other child is like, no, 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 I'm just a peaceful angel. And it's the other one. And the reality of it is, sometimes as a parent, you just don't know. You don't know what happened unless you saw it. Because your kids, as beautiful as they are, as wonderful as they are, they act differently when somebody's watching. All of our life, as human beings created in the image of God, an infinite, eternal God, an all-seeing, all-knowing God, he sees you in all actions. Every, every day of your life is lived before the face of God. You cannot hide from him. Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, they tried. Didn't work. David thought about it. He said, well, that, that's not going to work. In his Psalms, David said, where, where, where can I go to flee from you? It's not going to work. I have to live in light of you. I have to live under you. So that's, that's our call too. You can't run. You can't hide. You can't flee from God. You're always being watched by God. And so the question is, how are you going to live in light of him and who he has called you to be? A life of wisdom bears fruit. Fruit means purpose. Fruit means profit. Fruit means value. Our culture, in our day, we speak of return on investment because we're, we're a, a, a modern culture. 
And we speak of, I want to invest my time and get some sort of return on my time. That wasn't the language of the ancient scriptures. The language of the ancient scriptures is fruit. That's the return on investment. Anytime you read the scriptures, written 2,000 years ago to 4,000 years ago, and you see talk about fruit, recognize in modern terms, if it was written in our age, we would be talking about a return on investment. Time that was valuable. Time that led to profit. That's what the language of fruit is in Scripture. That when you live with Christ, value is produced. That when you live by wisdom, value is produced. So wisdom invites us in. Wisdom guides us to love, to justice, to how to properly hate evil inside us and outside of us. And wisdom guides us to profitableness. But look at this in in, in 22 through 31. Wisdom precedes us. This is one of the clearest portions of the book of Proverbs in which wisdom and Jesus are connected. Verse 22. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. Then he drew a circle on the face of the deep. When he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. Wisdom precedes us because wisdom was not created. Wisdom just was. And wisdom created the world. Colossians 1.15 speaks of Jesus this way. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things. In him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. All things were made by God through wisdom. All things were made by Jesus through wisdom. All things were made by God through Jesus, as all things were made by God through wisdom, because Jesus is the manifestation of wisdom that we as humans receive. Jesus, as the wonderful counselor, is the fullest manifestation of wisdom. And then because Jesus, in verse 20 of Colossians 1, reconciled to himself all things and made peace by his blood on the cross, we can now connect with Jesus and we can now be empowered by the Spirit of God to live in wisdom each and every day. To, according to James 5, ask for wisdom each and every day. To live with such humility that we know we don't have the answers to our own problems. We don't have the solution to our own issues. So therefore, let's ask God and he will direct us. So how do I live a life? I I had a guy a couple weeks ago tell me one of the difficulties of, of his life and his career and why he loves the book of Proverbs and pursuing wisdom is that he feels at times as it's easy as if he's living two different lives. Because... Day to day, he lives and he works in Dalton, Georgia, as as a conservative, as a as a as a Christian, and then and then he actually works from his home office for a company based out of San Francisco, which has very different values than he does and his family does, very different values than his community that he lives and walks in every day, his relationships here. Everybody has very different values than his workplace over there. So how do I? live as one person in two totally different worlds every day seven days a week in this world and five days a week having a foot in both worlds how do i do that how does wisdom guide me and here is and and that right there guys that's the stake of what we have to figure out because you know we can we can pick on san francisco 
Everybody's based on San Francisco, right? But, but corporate America is, is the same in Dalton, Georgia, and, and, in, and in California. There are different challenges to a society that rejects Christ that come up in businesses here just as businesses there. The governments of this world do not reflect the cause of Christ here as there as Washington, D.C. We have the same challenges in every community, in every area. We live for Christ, but we don't. When the world around us is not living for Christ, what do we do? Do we lean away from Christ and become comfortable and fit in? I'll tell you, people that fit in don't make a difference. People that, that fit in and just go the way of the world are not, are not remembered. But wisdom guides us to connect, to make connections in the world, but to be salt and light in the world so that a difference can actually be made. Think about it this way. What if there's somebody that you will come into contact with today or tomorrow that is living in darkness? What do they need most? They need light. Even more, even more than they need correction, they need light. Now, they may need some correction to find the light, but what they ultimately need is the light that allows them to see where they need to be corrected, that allows them to see the truth. And where are they going to receive that light? They're going to receive it from you. Because you're the one that is carrying the light that has an opportunity to interact with the person living in darkness. It's, it's simple. The opportunities in front of us are really simple. We know we live in a society where people are hurting, where people are broken, and wisdom is inviting us in and guiding us and showing us, I, I Jesus, I was there when the world was created. This is how the world works. Follow me. Don't follow the world. Here is how to live in wisdom. We have the opportunity to now take that light we receive from Jesus and to go out into the world and to share it. And with this comes a warning. Here's how the passage concludes. Now, O oh sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise, and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. What a beautiful promise. I told you there was a warning coming. But first there's a promise. Whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. If you want life, if you want favor from the, this infinite creator, find Jesus. Embrace the wisdom of Jesus and you'll find life and favor. But the warning is in verse 36. He who fails to find me injures himself. And those who hate me love death. If you want to find favor with the Lord, if not, keep on pursuing a culture of death. Keep on pursuing a way that leads to death. But if you want to find favor in the Lord, embrace Him and embrace His wisdom and recognize that you're surrounded every day by people that are on their way to a Christless eternity. An eternity of suffering, an eternity of pain, an eternity of separation from all that is good and righteous and bright and life. So what do we do in light of this? This invitation, this guiding that wisdom gives us, this purpose that wisdom gives us, what do we do? Number one, we pursue purpose and we find wisdom along the way. You know, here's, here's the thing that I just, I just tend to believe about people. Christians, non-Christians, everybody. I don't think people really like the idea of wasting a lifetime of wasting opportunities. I don't think people really love the idea of feeling like everything in their life is a waste. People that get to that point where they say, well, there's nothing matters in life, it's because they've been hurt, it's because they've been broken, it's because they've been beat up by life. But I think, I think if we can get to the point where we can have a conversation about purpose and meeting with people, I think people want their lives to count for something. I think that's something that is created in us as people that are image bearers of God. Even those of us that are fallen with sin and have not been reconciled by God. 
there's still this urge to make life count, to make it mean something. And we're the ones that have the purpose. We're the ones that have the meaning. We're the ones that have the message of life that says, we didn't have it all figured out either. I was a sinner. I was a wretched sinner. I was a rebel against God. If you want to look through the list of sin in the Old Testament and New Testament, I, I sinned in every way possible. I sinned in all of the lusts of the heart, in all of the lusts of the mind, in all of the jealousy, in all of the self-centeredness. I sinned in all of those ways. But Jesus met me. And Jesus gave me a new life and a new purpose. It wasn't my wisdom that brought me there. It was his grace that brought me there. It was his light that brought me there. We have the opportunity to be that kind of light for somebody. So what is the purpose of your life? What is the mission of your life? If you really ask that question, you'll find that the path to wisdom is the path to, pur to purpose. But then, as we seek out, we say, we need to find a purpose. We need to, to do something with our lives. Then, we build it around something. We need some sort of foundation. Here, it's the only one that works. The only foundation that works. And it's not, you know, it's not about the Bible, honestly. We're Fellowship Bible Church. We preach the Bible. We, put, we base everything on the Bible, but not because it's all about the Bible. It's all about Jesus. And this is how he reveals himself. We don't worship the book. We worship the person that the book reveals. And we believe the book. And so when I say the book is the foundation, that's really not the proper way to say it. Jesus is the foundation. But because everything we know about Jesus comes from this book, we build our foundation on Jesus through the book, through engaging with it, connecting with him through the book, learning about him through the book, pursuing him through the book and in community. And finally, the call to action, we share. You know, there's a purpose we have in gathering. One of the things that COVID changed about the way we engage with the church we have more opportunities to have disconnected engagement. And listen, internet sermons and internet churches existed before COVID, but COVID just sort of blew it up. And I think it was the right thing to do for a time. But I'll say this too. Disconnected church engagement isn't full church engagement. Because what we're supposed to do here is we're not supposed to live out a private individual relationship with Jesus that's just between me and Jesus. And I get the teaching from my pastor and then I go and I do things and I'm focused on me and I don't talk about my faith with others because it's a very private experience. That's not the normal Christian life. The normal Christian life is a community life where we connect together. We gather together because we think gathering together is important. It, it would be easy for me to just video these things and broadcast it to all, to all of you. I'm not a very social person. I'd be fine with that. But I know that's not good for me. And it's not good for you. It's not good for any of us to just be consumers of truth without engaging in a community. So we're here with a gathering of a couple hundred people to engage with community, to rub shoulder to shoulder, to let iron sharpen iron so that we can be built up together into the, into the building that God is creating is creating us to be. And so you share the, what wisdom, what God is doing in your life with others, believers and unbelievers, because God created you for a purpose, and that purpose is to be a light to the world, to bring glory to him, to worship him in all ways, and so live out your divine purpose. That's what worldview is all about. Seeing every situation in your life reading it through the eyes of the gospel and wisdom of God and saying, how do I live my life in light of what Jesus would do and would have me do? In light of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, how do I respond? And you'll find purpose there. You'll find life there. The band's going to come and lead us again as we, as we worship and as we sing. And I'd encourage you to stand and to respond how God would have you respond in this moment. Perhaps it is just standing with your arms raised high in worship. Perhaps it's, it's kneeling at the altar. The altar is always open to come for prayer, to come 
for help to come to plead to God or plead to God's people. I need grace. I need redemption. If you have questions about the gospel and how you live a life with Christ, come find me. I'm right here by the altar on the front row. But I'd encourage you now. Let's worship. And we'll do it together as a response to all that he has done for us.
praise you again and again. Cause all that I have is a Except for a heart singing Alleluia, Alleluia. Remain standing, and we'll let the Lord speak his blessing over us. From Numbers 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace. Things are passing, all things.